Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. And again, as V said, we are uh, working on our fifth week and getting into Romans chapter six this morning. And uh, if you recognize the verse that uh, she shared with us a little bit about the wages of sin being death, but the gift of God in Jesus comes to us, the, the contrast of that is really cool, isn't it? Because you really can't understand how beautiful light is and how good good news is unless you've experienced the dark, unless you've experienced bad news. And so what God is doing is he's not pulling any punches when he's talking to us in Romans chapter six. He is saying to us exactly what the bad news is so that he can turn and give us the full breadth of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a banner chapter for understanding what sin does in our lives. And it's also a banner chapter for understanding what God's good grace does in our lives to heal the effects of sin. So I'd ask you to pray with me and then crack open your Bibles or your mobile devices to join me in Romans chapter 6. Let's go ahead and set priorities straight here and pray first. Shall we do that before we jump in? Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to spend some time in your word today and to focus in exactly where you'd have us to focus on Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. But you've given us the free gift of Jesus Christ. And as we said before, that gift is free. It comes with no strings attached. Jesus was the one who paid the cost for every life in our fellowship in this room. And indeed, in the true church of Jesus, his blood was spilt and his body was tortured and was placed on a cross, but then conquered death and sin for us. And so we're going to talk about what the full breadth of that message means today as we focus in on Romans chapter 6. God, just be with us and just pour your grace out upon us as we learn together and as we grow together uh, in your fellowship and your family here. Uh, be with those who are not with us today, who are out on the softball field or who are traveling or who are engaging with uh, family and other activities. Be the church in them and through them. Let us stay connected by your spirit and by your power. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. All right. Let's go ahead and crack open those Bibles and or mobile devices. What I'd indeed challenge you to do again this time around is if you don't have the Word of God in front of you, either pull your phone and find it or sit, ne sit next to someone who does have it in front of them so that you can see the words for yourself. It's very important that every follower of Jesus, even people who are curious about Jesus, have access to the word and see it directly for yourselves. The main reason is, is because we're going to be looking at the whole chapter of uh, Romans 6 in bits and pieces, but we're going to be focusing on some key verses. Now, the verses that we're going to focus on today, um, we're kind of on the outskirts of the reading, starting in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. The scripture says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Now, if you remember the story of the apostle Paul writing some of this letter, and you may not remember, or may not have heard it yet, Basically, Paul was interacting with the church in Rome, which had largely become a Gentile church. Now, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is a not Jew. 
and most of the early church started with the Jewish faith. The Jews were the one who encountered Jesus, who was a Jew and in fact still is, and they became followers of Jesus as a part of the Jewish faith, becoming Christians. But in the 40s AD, the Emperor Claudius kicked all of the Jews, the Jewish Christians included, out of Rome. And there were a bunch of Gentiles left over in the city who had become Christians and formed their own churches. And so Paul is writing this letter both to Jewish people and Gentile people who have become followers of Jesus or what they would call Christians back then and now. But what you're going to see in the scripture is references to the law. Now, what law was this? It was the law of Moses. This was the Jewish law. And so what people were tempted to do as early Christ followers in the new church is they were tempted to place a bunch of rules on their lives that adhered to the Jewish law. In other words, they didn't yet understand that Jesus was a gift from God and that the gift God gave them in Jesus came with no strings attached. And that in fact, the law had several uses in their life, but the law was no longer to be, nor was it really ever to be, a way to earn their salvation. So as followers of Jesus, we understand and know from the get-go that we do not earn our salvation in God. Our salvation has been given to us as a free gift, as we said before. But that free gift comes through us knowing that there's a presence of sin in our lives. That's one of the uses of the law. The law tells us not only what we should do or not do, but it also shares with us what we should be thinking or not thinking, saying or not saying. And when we encounter the law, it shows us that we need a savior. That's why we have Jesus. Now the law helps us to understand what God's heart is like and what he intends for us because he knows what's best for us as his people, amen? And on the same token, we must not forget that we need a savior. We need Jesus, not just once on Sunday morning for an hour, hour and a half, but all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, all life long. And so what we're going to be talking about today is three specific concepts in the focus reading from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And if you see week after week as you come, there are going to be some key concepts that are highlighted in the reading. The first one for us today is the idea of sin reigning. Scripture says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, what is your mortal body? Let's go ahead and make a distinction here. It's this stuff, right? It's your flesh, it's your skin, it's your heart beating. And one day we believe that we will lay down the mortal body and what will happen? One day in Jesus, we will rise again from the grave to what kind of a body? A mortal one or an immortal one, which means a permanent one that cannot get sick and cannot die and will never need to be buried will be given an immortal body. But for today, we have this to walk around and live in. And depending on how old you are, that may be a challenge day by day to get up and walk around in this body, in this flesh suit 
Some days you may feel aches and pains. Some days it may be harder to get up out of bed than other days. And I see some relatively younger people in the room going, yeah, amen, I get that, I understand that. That it happens to the best of us, right? And to the youngest of us even sometimes. That is our mortal body. But one thing we always have in front of us is the temptation to engage in the old life we had before Jesus came along. A life that was ruled by sin. Now when the the scripture says sin reign, therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body. We in America, United States of America, we usually don't use the word reign very much. It's not the kind of rain that falls from the sky. It's the kind of rain a king or a queen engages in. Uh, for example, um, we know our good friend over there in the UK, Queen Elizabeth II. Does anybody remember how old Queen Elizabeth II is this year? 92 years old. And she first ascended the throne when she was 26 years old. She has been the longest reigning monarch in the UK. She's 92. Now, when will she pass away? We don't know. She could live for another 10 or 12 years. For all we know, she's been on the throne longer in her life than any other activity in her life. But did you know that back in the 80s, there was an assassination attempt on Queen Elizabeth's life? Now, I actually had not heard this story. There was a guy named Christopher Lewis, who was 17 at the time, over in New Zealand, on one of the Queen's tours of the world, who he took a shot at the queen. Have you heard this story before? I had not. Took a shot at the queen, and clearly he missed because she's still with us today at age 92, right? But what I want you to think of is this idea that this Christopher taking a shot at the queen uh, was kind of like the way sin works in our lives. You see, we have a God who is sovereign, like the Queen of England or the UK and all the commonwealths around, right? All around the world. We have a sovereign God who made us and loves us. And over in England, they have a sovereign queen. Uh, she is queen of, of, of the UK and all these commonwealths. There is nobody higher in the hierarchy of government than the queen. In the kingdom of God, there's nobody higher than the king who is Jesus. This gentleman, young man, uh, Christopher Lewis, took a shot at the queen and missed. What I want to help you understand today is the idea that sin reigning is the, the concept of missing the mark spiritually. Here's what I mean. Christopher Lewis aimed at the queen and took a shot and missed. With us in spirituality... When we sin, it's like missing the mark. When we sin, it's like taking a shot at God. We miss the mark. We cannot hit God. We cannot kill him. We cannot supplant him. But sin is kind of like an attempt to do that. Because what it does is it says to God, I know better about how to be God than you do. Sin takes a shot at God, as if to say God doesn't know the best for us. Now, maybe we don't understand that that's what sin is. 
or that that's what sin does. Maybe we fall into sin because we just don't know any better. And maybe we discover what sin is when we see the law and read it for the first time. Now, if you think about the Ten Commandments, share a few of those. What are the Ten Commandments? Honor your father and mother so that life will go well and long for you, right, on this earth. What else? Do not kill. And in fact, it's do not murder, right? What else? And don't have other gods, right? Worship the Lord your gods, right? What else? Yeah, don't, you know, don't lust after your neighbor's possessions. Don't covet them or be envious of them. And these are, these are ch the chief laws of the, the faith that we still preserve today. We still look at those laws and we say, those are good things. And so people are trying to remove likenesses of those laws from courtrooms and public spaces and such, right? Under the guise of separation from church and state. But they're still good things, aren't they? And if we practice those laws, then our life will go better than if we ignore those laws and do what those laws say not to do or do those things that the law says not to do or omit those things that the law says to do, like keeping the name of God holy and not using it in vain. You see, the law is a benchmark. The law is a standard. And what happens is when we break the law, when we sin against God, it's like we're taking a shot at him and missing the mark. The missing of the mark is what sin is. In the original language, there's this implication that sin is missing the mark. We miss the mark from the moment of our conception forward. From the time we are conceived, the scripture says, we are sinful and in need of a savior. Now, this kind of language might make us uncomfortable. It might make us squirm a little bit in our seats. It might make us feel like we are bad. But those of us who follow Jesus understand and know that the consequences of those sins in the spiritual world have been covered by who? By Jesus. The effects of those sins in the eyes of God have been wiped away by Jesus. And God's grand plan, his design, was to capture your heart based on how he had Jesus pay for your sin and mine. Jesus went to the cross and died a humiliating death in the Roman Empire and then rose again from the grave and then rose again in the air and ascended into heaven. Kind of like the way Queen Elizabeth ascended to the throne as a young woman. She was only 26 years old when she took the throne. And then some years and years later, as she grew and she got older and more mature, she became the Queen Elizabeth that we know today, the longest reigning monarch. But there's something about this life in God and this idea of sovereignty and perfection that we have a hard time understanding. You see, the queen every day offers herself to the UK as a servant. A lot of people don't realize that about sovereigns. Here in this country, we have elections. 
We have term limits. Some might say thanks be to God for term limits, right? But a sovereign is supposed to be a servant of his or her kingdom. A sovereign is supposed to reign over the kingdom and at the same time be a servant to everyone in the kingdom. This is the way Jesus is as our sovereign, as our head of state. He is the one who dies for us and rises again so that he can lead us as a new nation. The new nation is called the kingdom of God. So sovereigns are called to offer themselves in sacrifice to serve their sovereignties. In the same way, we're called not to let sin reign in our bodies so that we by choice can offer ourselves back to God, those who've been brought from death to life. This is where new life in Jesus Christ takes on flesh and bones. This is where it takes on life. You see, every single day we have a choice. We have a choice to remember who we are, that we were bought with a price, and the price was Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we have a choice every single day, not just once on Sunday or once upon baptism, not just once when we become adults, but every single day we have a choice to remember who we are, precious in the eyes of God and bought and paid for at a dear price. And in that moment, every single day, first thing in the morning, we have the choice to offer ourselves to something and someone. The offering of ourselves can be to our own selves, to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. But the other choice is this, to once again, on this day, this random Tuesday, this random Saturday, to once again on this day, to offer myself to Christ by following him. This is every day. And in the offering, God walks with us through Jesus. He makes up for the sin through Jesus. And he gives us a new path to walk alongside and behind our new sovereign. See, the idea is like this. If we offer ourselves from, uh, from the inside, from the heart level, if we offer ourselves to our old selves instead of to God, it's kind of like standing right next to danger. If you look at this scripture a little bit closer and look at the original intention of the scripture, the offering of ourselves means to stand next to or stand close by. So what we're doing is we're literally on a daily basis choosing to stand by God instead of to stand by the danger of our mortal bodies and the sin that came with them. Now, if you're listening by podcast, there's a picture of a bear licking a man's face. He's standing right in front of the bear, sitting right in front of the bear, allowing the bear to lick his face. It's kind of like the idea of sticking your hand into the fire the first time. When you stick your hand into the campfire the first time, what happens? It gets burned. And do you stick your hand into the campfire again after that? No, you learn. You learn the boundary of what danger is when you do that, sitting around the campfire. But you understand what it means to be close to, to sit beside or to stand beside, to make yourself available for someone's use. 
Either it's your old mortal self that was rescued from sin, or it's the new you that's been won by Jesus and recreated for new things. We choose every day who to stand by, the old dead me or the one who's been bought at a price and raised again to life. So when you see those words, offer yourself, what you're looking at is someone who chooses to be close to God because Jesus has given us the choice and the Holy Spirit's given us the opportunity to stand by him. And then kind of the last idea to focus on today is this idea of being an instrument of righteousness. So Paul encourages us to offer every part of ourselves instead of the old me, that we offer ourselves to God for use as an instrument of righteousness. Now we've talked about this righteousness idea in weeks past. We don't really use the word righteous in our culture so much anymore. Back in the 70s, righteous was used sort of like awesome or amazing would have been in the 2000s, right? It was kind of a descriptor of everything cool. But, but righteous in the eyes of God means absolutely right. There is no sin. There's no imperfection. There's only perfect holiness. And we know that Jesus gives us the righteousness of God. That is the full breadth of the gift that we receive from God. But we tend to think of this instrument word kind of like a beautiful guitar, like something Angus might play masterfully as he leads us in worship on a Sunday morning. But if you look a little bit deeper into the word, the instrument that's being used there is more like an instrument of warfare. Now, this is a Roman sword called a gladius. It's about 22 to 24 inches long, and it has blades on both sides. It was primarily used for thrusting in warfare because it's very short. And so the Romans would carry this around, and it could be used for all kinds of things. Mainly, it was used for warfare and battle, and it was a dangerous weapon because if it came back on you, what could it do? It could cut you just like it could cut your enemy. So it had to be handled properly. It had to be handled with skill and with training. The word of God in the scripture is said to be active and alive. It's sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is why we live in front of and surrounded by the word of God as members of his kingdom. Because what we're literally doing is we're engaging in battle, not battle against flesh and blood, but battle against principalities and rulers of the air and spiritual forces that would take us away from the good news of Jesus on a daily basis. The word of God is what keeps us as functional, active members of his kingdom. If we walked away from our fellowship here and never engaged in the word of God, we would be tempted to forget who we are. And we might be tempted to go back and serve the old mortal us, to focus on a life of sin outside God's word and outside his kingdom. That is why we keep the word in front of us because it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That was the original purpose of the law. And for us, it's a law of life. 
the idea that we know how God feels about us and we know what God did to win us over. God bless you. We know what it took for God to be able to come close to us and stand by us. We also read in the scripture, the weapons we fight with in this world are not the weapons of the world like the gladius, but on the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Let me ask you a question. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a term of war. A stronghold is where the enemy has built up some kind of something that you can't overcome. And that stronghold in your life and mine could be sin. It could be something that God never wanted or intended for you to be involved in. But God has conquered that stronghold through Jesus. And so what he's doing is through the word, through us being immersed in the word, what he's doing is he's demolishing those strongholds of sin in our life. So every day when we get up and, and face that choice as to whom we will serve, we already know ahead of time that there's nothing standing between us and a holy, perfect, and sovereign God who walks with us and works in us and works through us. That stronghold of sin has been completely eradicated and demolished. It's gone. And so therefore, in verse 5, the scripture says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, like whether or not there actually is a God, right? And we take captive, in the name of Jesus, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Think about this for a minute. God doesn't want you just one day a week. God doesn't just want you one hour on one day a week. God wants you all the time. And he's given you the power to follow Jesus from here and here out. He's given you everything you need. There's nothing more you need than the power of his spirit and his presence to learn how to choose to follow Jesus in every moment. The Holy Spirit gives us that power. He changes us and he reorients our life. He re-engages our life so that our life changes and moves in a different direction. I wanna share with you a couple of thoughts about a gentleman you'll see in this picture in the lower left-hand corner. This is Pastor Den. If you know Pastor Den, he passed away last Friday from lymphoma. He was sick for maybe what is known three or four weeks or more, complained of abdominal pain and went to the hospital, and this would have just been weeks ago, and then succumbed to that illness on Friday. Pastor Den was a banker for many years. He was retired and took on a second career as a pastor. But the joy of his life became the word of God and sharing the word. And you can see the joy on his face as he's taking a selfie with probably 80 of his closest friends over at Kimberly Way. This would have been a typical Sunday morning or Saturday night experience for Pastor Den. Another thing we know about Pastor Den is he loved nature. He loved to be outside. He loved it because it was God's creation. And he loved sharing with anybody who would listen 
how amazing God was in his creation. He would spend the time outside with his family, who he also loved, enjoying God's creation. He was an artist. He was a musician. He could sing and play piano beautifully. He could lead people from a heart of pure gold that God had given him as God claimed him as his own and turned him into a leader in the church. Pastor Den was planning on retiring this year. He had planned and worked his whole life to be able to retire and spend time with his grandkids starting this year. And God had another plan for him. God called him home by our standards early. But from God's standards, maybe it wasn't early. Maybe it was God's time. And maybe as Den is in heaven today, with God, face to face, his life serves as a reminder as to why we do what we do right here in the word of God every chance we get. And if Den were here with us, I think he would say, amen. From his perspective, he knew then and knows now beyond a shadow of a doubt what the most important part of life is and shall ever be. And that is the word of God, also known as Jesus. You know, uh, Den was an amazing leader, pastor, teacher, and friend. But I hesitate to even use the word was because he still is. Just like you and just like me, followers of Jesus, death cannot stop us. So the question of sin becomes this, why should we act like it's going to? Let sin fall away like water off a duck's back. Let it fall, let it fall. Because in Jesus, it has no place and it's been covered and taken care of and removed as far as the east is from the west. I think Den would want us to be encouraged today as sad as we might be. I think he would want us to smile and remember that he still lives just like Jesus does. Let's stop and think about that for a second as we pray. We're gonna invite the kids back in. We're gonna sing, just spend a couple of minutes with God. I wanna challenge you with this. Think about what that means in your life. The idea that sin is gone and has no power and that your life will never end because of Jesus and who he is and what he did. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for Den's life and the life of every soul represented here, all the way down to the very little ones. Thank you for giving us a season of life that in our mortal bodies is temporary, but in our immortal bodies is permanent and eternal. You mean business through Jesus, God, and we thank you for that. God, I am tempted to think about myself as the old me more often than I'd like to admit. I'm tempted to be subject to anger, 
to try to control people or set circumstances up the way I want them to be. I'm tempted to fight back and to use the weapons of the Spirit against people instead of for them. Where God, you have called us to, through the Word of God, fight for people. To share the Word of God in everyday conversation so that you may fight for them. I'm tempted to lay down that sword, God. I ask that you inspire in me the opportunity every day to pick it up again to wield it with skill and your power and to be a party to what it is you're doing in the world, still saving people through Jesus every single day. God, I thank you so much for removing my sin and for giving me a new life. I want to worship you now and spend time with you now, reflect on this, and just let you change my heart and work on the inside of me. In your name we pray and together we say, amen. Amen.